Well, let's take a Bible out, uh, if you would, this morning. And we want you to open to 2 Samuel chapter 12. And I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. And the question is, what is the most valuable commodity, ounce for ounce, in the world today? Well, if you said gold or platinum or diamonds, you lose. The most important commodity in the world today are Star Wars tickets. Yeah. Yeah, I'm serious. Have you been reading about this? It opens Wednesday, May 19th. But uh, people have been in line all week last week waiting for tickets. In fact, USA Today interviewed a fellow who was the number one guy in line down here in Washington at the Uptown Theater. His name is Vance. And Vance told USA Today that he got there on Sunday. Now, the tickets don't go on sale to Wednesday. He got there on Sunday with his Star Wars Monopoly game, his Star Wars Trivial Pursuit game, and a bag full of junk food, and he's sleeping out in front of the theater, and he told USA Today that he went to his boss and asked for Monday and Tuesday off so he could sit out, and his boss said no, so he quit his job. (laughs) He quit his job. He had a manager's job, and he quit. And, and the reporter said, well, but you know, I mean, it's going to be on on Saturday. I mean, you can see it's Saturday. You could have waited three days, you, you know, and saved your job. And he said, and I quote, he said, we're here to see Star Wars on opening day. Second day is not good enough. And if you need to ask why, then I'm wasting my time explaining this to you. <laughs> good point. Now, you know, over at Potomac Yards in Alexandria, the six shows sold out in two hours. Down at Potomac Mills, they sold 2,000 tickets in 90 minutes to Star Wars. Unbelievable. And yet, I'm here to tell you, Star Wars tickets are not the most valuable commodity in the universe. No, they're not. The most valuable commodity in the universe, folks, is forgiveness. To know for certain that you and I are forgiven is the most important thing that there is. I read an article where a British psychiatric hospital uh, doctor, the head of the psychiatric hospital, said this, and I quote. He said, I could dismiss half of my inpatients tomorrow if they could be assured that they were forgiven. Isn't that an amazing comment? He could empty half the hospital if he could convince these people they're forgiven. Now, you may not be able to take forgiveness and deposit it in your savings account in the bank, but I'm here to tell you that being forgiven is the deepest and most critical need that every human being has. Now, I want to ask one other question, and that's this. What is the most distinctive message that the Bible has to proclaim? Well, folks, the most distinctive message of the Bible is that God is offering to forgive our sins. I mean, it's true that the Bible offers us a noble way to live, and it's true that the Bible offers us some great role models for living. But the core message of the Bible is not about noble ethics or about great role models. The core message of the Bible is that we can have our sins forgiven by Almighty God. And that's what we want to talk about today, because in our passage, we come to a place where the wonderful forgiveness of God is on marvelous display in the life of David and Bathsheba. So we want to look at that. But remember, God just doesn't forgive people in the Bible, folks. God forgives people today, you and me. And we're going to talk about that when we get there. Let's take a look at this. A little bit of background. Remember, we're studying the life of the great man of God, David. And David, sadly, has gone and done some really nasty stuff. He's committed adultery with Bathsheba. He's gotten her pregnant. He has murdered her husband in cold blood. 
And then he has taken the man's wife and made her his own. And for a year he's covered it up. During that year, Bathsheba bore a child to him, the child that, that he uh, got her pregnant with. And at the end of that year, Nathan comes and confronts David. And when Nathan does, then two very important things happen. Number one, David repents. David admits that he did wrong. David says that he's sorry. David asks God to forgive him. And God agrees to do that. And the second important thing that happens is that Nathan announces to David there are going to be some consequences for what you've done. And the first and most immediate is that child that Bathsheba bore to you. That child is going to die. Now that's where we pick up the story. So let's look. Verse 15. And after Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had borne to David, and he became ill. And David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went into his house and spent nights lying on the ground. And the elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not even eat food with them. Now, Here we've got a situation that virtually every parent understands. Every parent knows what it's like to be in a situation where their child's life is this valuable to them. Some of us here, as a matter of fact, have even been right where David was. We've been in an emergency room. We've been in an ambulance. We've been next to a hospital bed pleading for the life of our child. And there is no feeling more gripping and more desperate and more panicky than this. That's where David was. Now, verse 18, on the seventh day, the child died. And David's servants were afraid to tell him the child had died because they thought, well, while the child was still living, we spoke to David and he wouldn't even listen to us. How can we tell him the child's dead? He's going to go do something desperate. David noticed his servants were whispering among themselves and he realized the child was dead. So he asked, is the child dead? And they said, yes. Then David got up from the ground and after he had washed... He put on lotions and changed his clothes and went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. And then he went to his own house and at his request they served him food and he ate. And his servants came to him and said, You know, Your Majesty, something doesn't make sense here. While you were, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and you wept. You were a wreck. You, You wouldn't eat. You wouldn't sleep. Nobody could talk to you. Now the child dies. And what do you do? You get up. Go get all cleaned up and go eat. This makes no sense. And David answers them and he says, well, here's the answer. Verse 22, while the child was still alive, I fasted and I wept. And I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he's dead, why should I fast? God made his decision. I understand. And I'm okay with that. But while the child was alive, I had a chance. If I was going to be fasting and praying and not eating, it was when the kid was alive. But there was a second thing that happened here that's just as curious. And that is that after the child died, he went to the house of the Lord and worships, the Bible said. And the servants were curious about that. And the answer to that, David tells us in Psalm 51. You don't need to turn there. But in Psalm 51, he tells us, why would you go to the house of God and worship when God was the one who killed the child? Well, listen to what he said. Verse 4, Psalm 51. He said, Against you and you only have I sinned, God, and done what is evil in your sight. And I say this so that you will be proved right when you speak and justified when you judge me. You know what he's saying here? He's saying the reason that I went to the house of God and worshipped 
is because I wanted to make it perfectly clear to everybody that everything I got, I deserved. That this wasn't God's fault. This was my fault. God didn't do anything unrighteous or unfair to me when He took this child. God was completely justified in what He did to me. It's not His fault. It's my fault. And that's why I went and worshipped, because this is not God's problem. It was my problem. Now, the story could have ended right there, friends. Um, David and Bathsheba did wrong. God judged them. End of story. But it doesn't. No, it goes on to show us something very beautiful about God. And I want you to see this and about His forgiveness. Verse 24. And then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. And he went to her and he lay with her. And she gave birth to a son and they named this son Solomon. And the Lord loved him. You say, well now, Lon, so what? So they had a son and they named him Solomon. I mean, what's so significant about that? Well, what's significant about that is that out of the hundreds of children that David had, it was this child, the child of Bathsheba, the most famous adulteress in history, the child of David, the king of Israel who had the worst moral failure in history, the child of David and Bathsheba, the most illegitimate couple in Israel. It was this child, the very next child, that God chose to be the next king of Israel. And not only that, but look at the next verse. Verse 25, And because the Lord loved this child, He sent word through Nathan the prophet to name this child Jedidiah, which means in Hebrew, loved by the Lord. This child is loved by the Lord. God gave the child a special name. He loved this child so much. Now, have you ever met anybody named Jedidiah? No, you say, I don't know anybody. Yes, you do. You know somebody named Jedediah. I promise you do. You do. Let me tell you of a story about a man named Jed, a poor mountaineer, barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food and up through the ground come a bubbling crude oil, that is, black gold. You know the rest. What is it? Texas tea. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you do. And do you remember when Granny would get mad at him, what she'd call him? She'd say, now, Jedediah, remember? Yeah, you know him. But, you know, Jedediah did not begin with the clampets. The first person named this was not a clampet. The first person named this was King Solomon himself, Jedediah. God loves this child. Now, we say, Lon, so what? Well, let me listen. What this means is that in spite of David's awful wrongdoing, and in spite of Bathsheba's awful wrongdoing, in spite of the disgrace that they brought on God's name, in spite of the public scandal that they caused, when they repented, when they asked God to forgive them for what they had done, when they turned to God in humility and confessed their sin, God forgave them so thoroughly, He forgave them so completely, He forgave them so utterly, that not only was He comfortable choosing their next child to be the king of Israel after David, but he also loved that child so deeply that he actually personally named that child, Jedediah, loved by the Lord. You see, my friends, when God forgives, He forgives all the way. When God forgives, He doesn't leave a cloud hanging over you. When God forgives, He doesn't leave you living under a shadow. No, no, no. God forgave David. He forgave Bathsheba. And He didn't punish them or hold them responsible the rest of their lives for this. He didn't make them suffer the rest of their lives for this. His forgiveness was complete. And that's wonderful. Now that's as far as we want to go in the passage, but that leads us to ask the really important question. 
And you know what that question is. And hey, out there in the lobby, I want you all to participate. Don't forget. All right, ready? One, two, three. No. All right, good job. So what? I don't know about you, when you went to high school, I don't know how your high school experience was, but when I went to high school, they made me read. Did you all have to read in high school? And we read some really horrible stuff. I mean, I know there are English teachers here, and I know you're going to write me, so just keep those cards and letters coming. But I have a right to my opinion, and my opinion is Beowulf is awful. That's my opinion. My opinion is the Canterbury Tales are terrible. If it had not been for Cliff Notes, I'd still be in high school today. I can't understand that stuff. This stuff was terrible. Terrible. Well, maybe you had to read in high school too. Did you all have to read a book called The Scarlet Letter? Uh, Yeah, me too. Well, you remember the story then. It's about this woman that lives in Puritan New England, right? And she commits adultery. So what do they do? They make her take a letter, a cloth letter... And they make her sew it on the breast of her clothes. And it's a scarlet letter, much less, so it stands out. And everywhere she went in that town, she had this big scarlet letter on her breast as a way of saying, this is the woman who did it. This is the woman. They made her live under the permanent shadow of her sins. She could never get free from the guilt. She could never get free from the shame. And you know, it is my uh, position, uh, it's my experience, that we have a lot of Christians living scarlet letter Christian lives. We have a lot of Christians who've done things in the past that they feel terrible about, that they feel embarrassed about, that they're ashamed of, either before they were Christians or after. And they walk around living under that guilt and living under that shame, like they got a big old red letter right in the middle of their chest. And I'm here to tell you, That there's a misunderstanding between you and God, if that's how you feel. There's a misunderstanding. That God's forgiveness is not like the forgiveness of Puritan New England. That it's different. And I want to tell you some things about the forgiveness of God that we've just seen displayed with David and Bathsheba that applies to your life and my life today. The first thing I want to tell you is that the forgiveness of God is full. The forgiveness of God is full. God doesn't forgive like people do. My mom, when I, in the home where I grew up, my mom used to always say to me, well, I'll forgive you, but I'll never... See, somebody said that to you too. And, and I have to give my mom credit. She was a woman of truth. She never did forget. She was telling me the truth. Ten years later, we'd be having an argument, and she'd say, do you remember when you did it? Did, did? And I'd go, Mom, that was ten years ago. Doesn't matter. You did it. It was awful living in that home. Years later, still throwing up failure in my face like that. And I have to tell you, being partially forgiven is no fun. It's no fun. I could never fully escape it. I could never put it behind me. It was always acceptable ammunition for the next fight. Now, I'm here to tell you that there are some wives who forgive like this. There are some husbands who forgive like this. There are some teachers and coaches in schools that forgive like this. There are some bosses who forgive like this. There are neighbors and friends and relatives who forgive like this. You know, there are even countries who forgive like this. Oh yeah, we'll forgive you, but if it's a hundred years from now, we'll get you. And that's the history of Europe, right there. You don't even need to read the book. That's it. I could teach history and everybody would like me. But it's true. That's European history. 
Friends, I'm here to tell you God never forgives like this. Never. When God forgives, it is gone for good. It's not partial. It's gone. Now, let me give you some scripture to prove this to you. Turn with me, if you would, into the Psalms. Psalm 103. It's page 428, if you're using our copy of the Bible. Page 428. Psalm 103. And look at this. Look what God says here. Psalm 103, verse 12. Verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west. Now, how far is that? Well, on every compass I've ever used, they never touch. East and west are as far apart as you can possibly get. As far as the east is from the west, that is how far God has removed our wrongdoings from us. When God forgives, He takes it as far away from you as the east is from the west. In Micah chapter 7, God says in the Bible that when He forgives sin, He hurls it into the depths of the sea. And I love what one man I heard speaking on this passage said. He said, and then God puts up a sign there that says, no fishing. I love that. In Isaiah 38, God says that when He forgives sin, He takes those sins and He puts them behind His back. So He doesn't even see them anymore. And in Hebrews chapter 10, God says, and this is the covenant that I will make with you. Your sins I will remember no more. I'll remember your sins no more. I'll catch permanent amnesia when it comes to the sins I've forgiven you of. What a wonderful piece of news. You know, when missionaries first went to the Eskimos, they ran into a problem. The problem is that when they began to learn the Eskimo language, they realized there was no word in the Eskimo language for forgiveness. And that's a big problem. Because forgiveness is a central theme of the Bible. You need a word somehow to translate this. There was no word. But as they learned more and more about Eskimo, they learned that there was a one-word phrase in Eskimo that goes like this. Like my Eskimo? And what that means in Eskimo is not being able to think about it anymore. And that's the word they use to translate forgiveness. Not being able to think about it. I don't think about it anymore. And folks, this is what God offers you and me and every person alive. He is offering to What a wonderful offer. Not to think about it anymore. When I was a kid, I loved Superman. Did y'all like Superman? Oh, Superman, he was, he was cool, man. I loved him. And he had all kinds of these wonderful powers, you know. One of his greatest powers was x-ray vision. Could see through anything. I used to often walk around and wonder what it'd be like to have x-ray vision. Would that be cool? But there was one thing Superman couldn't see through. You remember what it was? Lead. That's right, he couldn't see through lead. Even with x-ray vision, couldn't see through lead. Now, what I'm here to tell you is that when we embrace Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, when we trust His shed blood as the payment for our sin, then what God does is He takes our sins and He places them behind the blood of Jesus Christ. And the blood of Jesus Christ is to God what lead was to Superman. It's opaque. God has made the decision that He will not look through the blood of Jesus Christ and see anything on the other side, just like Superman couldn't look through lead. And when you've got sins on the other side of the blood of Jesus Christ, as far as God is concerned, they are gone. They are history. That's how God forgives. And that's why He can say in the Bible, I will remember them no more. They're behind the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the other thing I want to tell you is not only is God's forgiveness full, but it's also free. 
You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to merit it. You don't have to deserve it. God doesn't grant forgiveness to people because they perform properly and they live up to it. No, no, no. God grants forgiveness to people free. Free and postage paid. And you know how you get access to God's forgiveness? Let me show you. It's the same way David did. Turn with me back to Psalm 32. Flip back a few pages. Psalm 32, page 395. And let's see how you get access to this forgiveness. David says in Psalm 32, look at verse 1. He said, Blessed is the person whose wrongdoings are forgiven. Blessed is the person whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person whose sin the Lord does not count against him. Now, is this a wonderful position to be in? To be in a position where your wrongdoings are forgiven, your sins are covered, and God doesn't count anything that you did against you anymore? Is that a wonderful position? Well, how did David get there? Well, look. He's going to tell us. Look down at verse 4. He said, Day and night your hand was heavy on me, God. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my wrongdoings to the Lord... And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now, David went through a very simple process. A process that will work for you and work for me, that will give us access to the same forgiveness of God he got access to. Here's what he did. Four quick little steps. Number one, he realized he needed to be forgiven. I mean, he had a broken heart about what he had done, and he said, I need to be forgiven. Step number two, he accepted personal responsibility for what he had done. It wasn't his mother's fault, his father's fault, his brother's fault, Bathsheba's fault, society's fault, his kingdom's fault, nobody's fault. It was my fault. Now you're ready to do business with God. Number three, he humbled himself. And he, he confessed his sin. And he asked to be forgiven. And then step four, and folks, this is the most important step and where most people, most Christians mess up. Number four, then he believed what God told him about forgiveness. He believed that God, when God said he forgave him, God did. He believed when God said it's behind you, it's behind you. He believed when God said I throw it in the sea, that it's in the sea. I believe, we believe when God said I put it behind my back, I put it behind, he put it behind his back. He believed what God told him. This is where most of us as Christians mess up. We go through the first three steps just fine. And then after we confess it to the Lord... We get up, but we don't believe what God tells us. We walk around and we still carry the sin. We walk around and we still carry the shame. We walk around and we still carry the guilt. Instead of believing that God says, hey, I've got permanent amnesia about that. What are you, what are you talking about? You say, well, Lon, I'll tell you why we do it. Because it just seems too easy. It just seems too simple. It seems like we're saying it's okay what we did. If we don't flagellate ourselves and punish ourselves. Well, let me tell you something. It's not okay what you did. If it was okay what you did, you wouldn't have needed to be forgiven. But, where in the Bible does God call you to self-flagellation? I can't find a place. Can you? Mm -mm. Where does God call you to have to help Him decide how much punishment or how much discipline you deserve? Does He need your help to decide that? Mm -mm. Does He need you to keep feeling shame and doing penance? No, God says, look, I forgive you, now let's get on with life. And we need to believe it. I had a lady in my office not too long ago, 
And she told, was telling me a little bit about her spiritual journey. And she said, you know, when I was in college, I really believe I made a decision for Jesus Christ. But then I got all wrapped around the axle. Because no one ever explained to me how the forgiveness of God worked. And I started going to church and, and I got the impression from church that the only way I could stay forgiven was to perform properly as a Christian. And so for several years, she said, I killed myself trying to do everything right. But there was no way I could live up to that standard. And, and every time I fell short, I was convinced, oh, well, there goes my forgiveness right out the window. You know, the shoe's going to fall now. She said, I knew in the Bible Jesus had promised that he would set us free. But she said, this wasn't freedom. This was bondage. This was slavery. This was misery. She said, so after a while, I just chucked the whole thing. I figured, this is stupid. I feel worse now than I did before I was a Christian. I'm done. And she chucked it. She, she, she chucked, chucked it for years. She's just recently come back to the Lord after years of being away. But she said to me in my office, and I love this. She said to me, you know, Lon, I think a lot of people have just enough Christianity to make them miserable. An interesting comment. They have just enough to make them miserable. And I agree with her wholeheartedly. I've seen 20 years of miserable Christians in my, my ministry. People who sit in churches all over America that have no grasp on the breadth and the depth and the expanse and the awesomeness of the forgiveness of God. And as a result, they keep trying to earn it and deserve it and be worthy of it and live up to it and merit it. And their lives are not filled with joy, like Jesus said they ought to be, but they're filled with shame and doubt and guilt and feelings of failure. And this is all so senseless. So it's so needless. You and I will never be worthy of the forgiveness of God. We can never deserve the forgiveness of God. So get over it. It's not going to happen. And God is not trying to get you to deserve it. What God wants is for you just to believe what He tells you. That His forgiveness is free. And all He wants you to do is claim it and enjoy it. Claim it and enjoy it. You know, when I was 21 years old and a student in Chapel Hill, North Carolina... I met this man on the street who told me, God can forgive everything you've ever done. God can take away the shame. He can take away the guilt. And I laughed at him. I said, you know, you don't realize who you're talking to. You know, I'm not your put on a white shirt and tie and go to church on Sunday morning type of person you're talking to here. You don't have any clue what I've done in my life. Now, I had stolen. I had cheated. I, I had used dope, smuggled dope into the country, sold dope in Chapel Hill, turned my friends on to dope. Because of that, I cost my very best friend a scholarship, and he ended up in federal penitentiary on drug charges. I had gotten a girl pregnant. I had forced her to have an abortion against her wishes because I didn't want the baby. This is all public record about my life. I, I'm telling you, I had so much baggage of shame and guilt, I felt like a Miata pulling a Mack truck, if you can understand what I'm saying. And this guy said to me, God's going to forgive your sin and wipe all of this out. And I said to him, pal, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. He said, well, you know what? You're a fool if you don't give him a chance to prove it to you. Well, I said, all right, fair enough. I will. So I went through the same steps David went through. I knew I needed to be forgiven. I was upset about the things I had done. I, I accepted personal responsibility for him, and so I got down on my knees and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life and forgive my sin. And friends, I'm here to tell you that man told me the truth. That man told me the truth. Jesus Christ came into my life and forgave those sins and took away the shame and took away the guilt and made me free. 
And if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I'm here to tell you all of that shame and all of that guilt and all of that self-condemnation that you're carrying today, you can be free. Totally free. But you're not going to be free by going to therapy. And you're not going to get free by taking drugs. And you're not going to get free by reading books and going to seminars. There may not be anything wrong with any of that, but none of that's going to make you free. The only thing that will make you free is to be forgiven by Almighty God. And the only way He does it is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the way it works. So if you're here and you want what I had, I'll tell you, you can have it today if you want it. But you've got to do it God's way. Now, you might say, Lon, as a Christian, I'm very bothered by what you're saying here because teaching like this could lead to license. Don't you understand that? Well, my response to that is two things. Number one, I'm sorry if you don't like it, but this is what the Bible says, so that's what we teach. And number two, I didn't find that it led to license in my life. I mean, after Jesus Christ made me free, I didn't want to go out and sin some more just so I could do it with impunity. Uh Uh-uh. Man, somebody makes me free? From all of that baggage, it led to loyalty in my life. It led to love for Jesus Christ in my life. It didn't lead to license, and it doesn't lead to license in most people's lives. If you're not preaching the grace of God and teaching the grace of God in such a way that license is a danger, you're not teaching it correctly, folks. You're not teaching it right. Because God's forgiveness is so awesome. Could somebody take advantage of it? Yeah, they could. But people don't. Not when they get the real disease, they don't. Now, let me tell you something here, friends. God wants you to be free. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for you to be free. He wants you to be free from the shame and the guilt of the past. He wants you to be free from living under the cloud of past failure. He wants you to be free from carrying the scarlet letter on your chest the rest of your life. He wants you to be free to serve Him and free to walk with Him, free to love Him, free to obey Him without fear. He wants you to be free to relax in your relationship with Him and to enjoy life. And to give it your best shot, but to not have to be anything more than a human being. That's all God wants out of you. Jesus said, if I, the Son of Man, make somebody free, they're going to be free indeed. And the only reason, if you're not free from shame and guilt, the only reason that's true is because you haven't believed God. You didn't believe what He told you. That that sin that you're still worried about, it's gone. If you've confessed it to God, it's gone. It doesn't even exist in the mind of God anymore. So why should it exist in your mind? Now, you've got to believe God. And there are some of us here who need to do that. There are some of us here as Christians who've been stuffing stuff just like David did for a year. And the weight is, is just killing us. Today's the time to get free. God will set you free. If you'll just do what David did. Just come clean. And I want to give you the chance to do that this morning. Let's pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you've been stuffing something and it's eating you up and you're ready to do what David did, to accept personal responsibility, to confess it to God, to humble yourself, to ask to be forgiven, I'm going to give you just a few moments and I want you to do that right now. And if you're here as a Christian and you've been through this process over and over and over again, but you just can't turn loose of it and and let it go, I'm here to tell you, Ask God to help you believe Him. That, that those things that, that are just weighing you down, as far as God's concerned, they're in the depths of the sea. They're behind the back of God. He doesn't even remember them anymore. Can you believe God? I hope you can. Ask for God's help and do that. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, thanks for reminding us today that Jesus came into the world and died on the cross to set us free. Jesus said, if I, the Son of Man, make you free, you will be free indeed. And Lord, thanks for reminding us that that you want us to come out of the shadow of our guilt and our shame and our self-condemnation and to enjoy that freedom, the freedom of being forgiven. Lord, my prayer is that you would help people here today believe you, just to take you at your word, to know that if they've confessed something, it's as far from them as the east is from the rest, and help people today, Lord, liberate some people today, help them take that scarlet letter and rip it off their chest and be done with it because they're believing what you're telling them. Lord, thanks for your wonderful forgiveness. It's it's almost too awesome to get our arms around, but we sure do appreciate it. So God, make us free people. Help us enjoy your forgiveness as liberated sons and daughters of God. And we love you for forgiving us this way, Lord. May we show you our love in the loyalty that we give you in return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.